Giving us a five-star review is the equivalent of swiping right on the Son of a Pitch podcast on Tinder. So if you like the sexy, dulcet tones of Max and Vince in your ear holes, you know what to do. Give us a five-star review and a little sexy comment. Cheers. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh-huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh-huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems, so let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a pitch. Dylan, you son of a pitch. You are listening to Son of a Pitch Podcast with your hosts, Max Learmont and Vince Usher. And we thought it might be a good idea to go around and interview other strategists in the field who, who know more things than we do. To see how they unpack brilliant ideas and challenges that we give them. Most, most of them are pretty silly. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Jason Lonsdale, thank you so much for being a part of the Son of a Pitch Podcast. You're welcome, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. Your career, it's been pretty storied. I mean, you've worked at pretty much every single network shop that there is to work at, from BBDO through to Leo Burnett, YNR, Saatchi and Saatchi. And you've also worked on pretty much every client you could possibly work on, from Maccas to Land Rover to LG to Nike to AT&T, Diageo, Puma, Mars, and the list goes on and on and on. What did you think your career would turn out like when you were younger, just getting started in planning? And did you think you would move around? And, and go as many places as you did. Um, I, I had no, I had no idea actually. I, I'm a, um, I, I'm an accidental planner. In my twenties, I, I owned a restaurant, and then I worked in the music industry, and that was at the time of Napster. For those old people, some of you may remember that, which was sort of the the time when I was working for a record company and thinking, yeah, kind of writing might be on the wall a little bit as this digital stuff that seems to be taking over, and. That was kind of when I went, yeah, like maybe it's time, maybe it's time for a pivot. And I was lucky enough to, uh, to be approached about a job at a market research company. Ah. And at the time, so this is uh, late 90s, they were, it was all sort of Gen X youth market kind of stuff. It was the dawn of cool hunting. And they wanted someone to do that. So they hired me out of the music industry and partnered me with a, a qualitative and a quantitative researcher. So we were like completely sort of the three-way odd couple. But we built this research tool that was became very successful. And through that, met a lot of agencies. It was, you know, because we were sort of presenting to them, we were doing work for them. And kind of, oh, look, this, this planning thing looks kind of interesting. What did this research tool do? It was, a, it was like a syndicated youth market study. So we, we had... Um, it was kind of weird, but it was ahead of its time because you have to, you know, there really wasn't much in the way of internet back then. So we would do things like we would send out disposable cameras and get people to record their day and send the cameras back in and get wow. to like to develop develop the films. <laughs> And then you go back and interview them and go, so what was going on in this photograph? There was some, there was some pretty odd shit. There really was. Can I swear on this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go for gold. It's an Aussie podcast, so. <laughs> Fuck it, eh? So, yeah, we, we got that set up and, and um, as I said, I was dealing with a few agencies that we'd sort of just met through the clients saying, hey, you should present this, you know, this stuff to the agency. Mm. And I got to a point at the research company where I was like, I'm kind of a little bored. 
and ran into a, an acquaintance of mine who was a headhunter, and she was like, hey, look, um, you know, Colenso BBDO are looking for a planner. And I was like, oh, cool, that, that sounds like fun. And went and had a chat to them, and, and for whatever stupid fucking reason, they gave me a job. <laughs> and that was in, I guess, like 2000, 2001, maybe? Yeah, we have it here, 2000, September. Yeah. And they um, they sort of threw me in the deep end. It was a really flat department. I think there were four of us. Um, we didn't have a head of planning. We just had four planners. That was our title. And yeah, I was sort of thrown in the deep end and, and, and sort of had to figure it out pretty quickly. How, um, how did you go about doing that? How did you go about figuring out the early stages? Because obviously back then the internet and blogging and all of the tools that are available uh, to planners weren't available back then. So was it more like hitting the books or? Well, no, it was, it was pretty old school. I mean, the, there was, this, there was and, and you know, arguably to this day, there's still only one decent book on the subject, which is John Steele, Truth, Lies and Advertising. Yeah. Uh, so I you know, read that, but okay, cool. And, and I was lucky enough to have a... Um, uh, an amazing mentor, a lady called Louise Gregg, who didn't work at Colenso anymore, but she she sort of founded the discipline at the agency. But she was she was sort of around, and, and she lived pretty close. So uh, once a week, she was like, "Look, just come and come and hang out." She had little kids by the stage, so I, I'd wander down to her place and we'd sit on the porch and, and drink cups of tea. And um, <laughs> that is epic. And I'd be like, "How do you do this?" And she'd be like, "Okay, that, yeah, this is this is here you go." Dum, dum, dum. So she was amazing. I think it, it was a you know, Colenso then. In fact, Colenso to this day was a very creatively driven agency. Yeah. So so my all of my training was you know. Our job is to sort of put the ball on the tee for creators. So you, you're very collaborative, very early. Mm. You would go and you know go and speak to the creators before you you know before you kind of put pen to paper, right? Um, and a lot of that's been very formative. You know, I think that strategy strategy is a means and, and great advertising, and I use that term in the broadest possible sense. Great advertising is the end, mm. and we you know we we forget that to our detriment. With disciplines like comms planning and stuff starting to sneak into the traditional creative shops as well, like there, there's a bit of a different vibe going on in planning departments. Have you found that today? Has that changed things at all? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think, I'd argue that it's a different job. I think that Colenso back in the day was effectively a full service agency. We had media. Mm. Um, and that was absolutely one of the reasons why we were so dominant in the awards show because you know at, at genesis you didn't just have brand creative strategy you had media strategy coming into it mm. i'll give you as a great example we we, we won uh, mini in a pitch i think mini had launched maybe a year before and they were sort of maybe two years before and they were coming up to sort of the the facelift model and they they wanted to change agencies and do it to some new work and i would often did some folk we were like what the fuck are we gonna do so i would often do some focus groups with you know mini drivers and competitive drivers and like the day after i did them i was sort of sharing some thoughts with the team and there was this kind of cute little moment where i'd asked mini drivers was like tell me about your car but you can't use words i want you to do it through mime because if right. you ask people to use, because if you otherwise they just say, oh, it's cool and it's fast, so you just get the same shit. So people were like, this is hard to do on a podcast. Yeah. But it was mine. But people were like, <laughs> and was, you know, turning the steering wheel and the tongue was poking out of the mouth. And I was like, that's interesting. And you know, if you did it with like golf owners, they were like, you know, we dug into it and they were like, well, yeah, the thing about minis is it's all about going around corners. 
there's like they're like a go-kart you throw them around corners really fast and i was like that's interesting and um i was telling the team and, and a lady called jan clark big shout out jan clark um was the media director and she was like well that's cool what if corners was like the media idea Huh. And I was like, that's cool. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but that sounds <laughs> kind of cool. And um, the creative team, um, Guy Rook, who I think is in Sydney still, and Tim Hughes, they sort of looked at each other and you could see that little idea, invisible idea arc going between their brains. And they were like, back in an hour. And they came back and they had the idea. And the idea was that we use billboards on corners. And rather than it being a picture of the car and a, a headline, which is what could have been previously, it just had, you know, mini art direction, red red back, red border, black background, logo bottom right. And it just said, this corner, colon, and then big fraction, eight out of 10, two <laughs> out of 10, based on how much fun the corner was to go around. And that, I think that got, I don't know if it got best in show at Axis, but it certainly got, I think, best outdoor campaign. And I think it did, did something it can as well. And that was an idea that was born in 30 minutes. And it was born because, you know, we had A, strong consumer insight, and B, someone thinking about it contextually, thinking about that insight contextually from a media perspective, and then creative sort of joining the dot. That doesn't exist anymore in agencies. So it doesn't even exist in media agencies, because media agencies don't really have decent strategists mm. very often, which is why creative agencies feel the need to hire you know, comms planners, which is a really long-winded story. But, but the point I'm trying to get to is that I think they're different skills. I think you come at it from a different angle, and that's awesome, because the whole point of what we do is perspective. Yeah, yeah, and I want I want people who come at things from a different perspective to me. That's why going back with creative teams together, not mm. because one writes and one draws, but because they sort of access things from a different part of their brain, and together they'll get to that sort of one plus one equals three moment faster. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you got to the insight through mime research. I think that's something all agencies should adopt immediately. Yeah, it's like look, man, I, I'm a huge, huge believer in. You know, the, the 101 of our job is human beings. Mm, mm. And I see far too much, you know, what I always sort of call Google planning. Research reports, trend studies, what's on Google, maybe. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give a break to Reddit because Reddit is probably a lot closer to the voice of the people if you start digging down. But there's no substitute for just going and talking to people, man. You know, it's, that's kind of why our job exists. Planners tend to, tend to be pretty introverted people in general do you have any advice for planners because obviously you coming through research you kind of had those skills yeah look i i i i, I recommend anybody I, you know i get lots of people reaching out it's like how do i get into planning it's like you know what if, if you can't if you if there isn't a planning job on your plate straight away go and work and for a decent research company because it's a foundational skill mm-hmm. don't wait for permission just do it you know, like no one's no one's telling you to sit at your desk all fucking day. Yeah. Um, just do it, and, and ultimately, you, you know, it's the old that old sore about you're better off asking forgiveness and seeking permission, because you will find more interesting stuff by getting out, getting off your ass, and, and going into the world. And all ultimately, any agency cares about, or anyone's boss cares about, is how good your work is. So you know, just kind of do it. You know, it doesn't have to be a big, you know, research study. Go and I don't know. And I, I I'm a, I'm a terrible eavesdropper. <laughs> I, it's a, it's a, it's a bad habit. I'll go to Starbucks, and I'll just like consciously, I'll take you know one earbud out and just eavesdrop on conversations, because you just pick up weird, random things, and it may not be relevant to what you're doing today, but 
you know, in a few months' time, you might be thinking about something else, and the thing that you heard three months ago might trigger a thought, right? You just got to sort of get out there and get amongst it. And now it's time for a break. Are you a creative soul who feels crushed by the irrepressible reality of hilarious delusion you live in every day of your life? Perhaps you know more about XL formatting than your significant other's private parts, resulting in a deep and throbbing pain emanating from your heart as you constantly ponder your sycophantic rise to the top of your organizational food chain. You may have even found yourself tapping your foot non-stop in the doctor's office as the pulsating flow of blood from your head convinces you that the work-related stress disease you read about in National Geographic one time is about to make your eyes pop from your skull atop a geyser of hot steam. Well, have I got a deal for you. Miami Ad School are offering a strategic planning boot camp that is almost sure to guarantee you a life filled with ever-changing, mind-bending creative challenges that help you make an actual difference within the world. Not only does it put you in touch with some of the world's best strategic minds, like the ones on this podcast, but you'll be investing in a chance to start your life anew. And the best thing? Given you're a loyal listener to the Son of a Pitch podcast, we'll waive your application fee so there's absolutely no risk to you whatsoever. Just email us at podcastsoap at gmail.com if you're interested. That's podcastsoap, S-O-A-P, podcastsoap at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the good stuff. So, I mean, that's particularly interesting with respect to your career because obviously you went from New Zealand to London and then you've gone to Canada after that and obviously you're in the US now. Is that a factor of your personality, just going out and being interested in in different cultures and people and, and things? Yeah, a- a- absolutely. That's that's the the reason why I, I, I kind of love what I do. And yeah, there's something very interesting about being a foreigner, especially in, in you know, yeah, I've kind of been a professional foreigner for, you know, 15 years or so. Because you, you see things differently. You know, mm. if you're brought up in a country, the things that are sort of normative are your blind spot. Right. Often that's where, you know, some very rich, rich territory is right all those things that everyone just does and takes for granted can, can be sort of can be super interesting i'm trying to give an example you know sort of the some of the work we did for for toyota when i was at sachi for sydney came there was a, a camry campaign called calling all the heroes and it just came off some very simple insights into what it was to be a middle class lower middle aged australian bloke to be a dad you know like you're not a hero you're, but yeah, you know, but you kind of are a hero actually. You're the guy who's bringing home the bacon and you know playing cricket with the kids and and that sort of stuff. And yet everyone in culture tells you you're a dick um, <laughs> because in advertising, mum's the hero most of the time, right? Dad's yeah. the doofus. Yeah. Um, so we were like, we sort of had this really nice idea about just celebrating the average Australian bloke because that's the bloke who buys a Camry. But it wasn't something that you necessarily noticed you, you would have paid as much attention to, I think, if you were if you were native, maybe, I don't know. How do you think being a, a Kiwi has, has influenced your work? Because New Zealand has produced some pretty strong advertising of late. And one of the banknotes is uh, Sir Ernest Rutherford, who was the split the atom, was the first person to split the atom. He was asked how he had achieved what the great minds of Harvard or Oxford or whatever had failed to do. And his reply was, we didn't have any money, so we had to think. <laughs> that's amazing and that's why new zealand punches so far above its weight mm. because you don't have the luxury of you know i've got three million pounds and i'm going to get rid of these scots to direct it you know mm, sure you, you, you've got to, you've got to be scrappy you've got four million people so your media budget's not that big your production budget's commensurately smaller as mm. well All the, the the years i was at calenzo so much of the work that we did was sort of 
ambient experiential stunt sort of stuff. You know, we we had TV3 as a client and they, God, this is dating myself, they um, had the, t- the free-to-air, the network TV premiere of the movie Scream. Yeah, so that right. must have been, you know, like right, 2002 or three or something, right? And they had no money. But what we had, we had a deal with TV3 where they, we, they carved off, I think it was like 10% of their budget for us to do cool shit for, and, you know, movies and just one-offs. And uh, there used to be a big fountain at the bottom of Queen Street um, in Auckland City. And we dyed it red. We filled wow. it, basically filled it with blood. And, <laughs> and stenciled, you know, Scream TV3 Sunday night in front of it. And it made, you know, it made, the, fucking, it made the Daily Newspaper. Yeah, what because it's New Ze- cause, cause, Yeah, because it's New Zealand and not much happens. So you can, you <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But you look at, there's a, there's a straight line from, camp- from all of that work to things like Fearless Girl. Yeah. 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 You know, which which is a uh, you know one of those like Americans like oh my god, how did you think of that? So well, we had that's the shit that we had to do because we couldn't make a TV ad. Yeah. Know? So there's, there's a real you know it's a wonderful there's a power in, in, in constraints. Mm. Yes. And I always think that that's that's a really valuable lesson. It's like if you get stuck, take shit away. Don't add to it. Make life harder for yourself. You know. Hmm. It's kind of if, if you ever, if you study any of the, sort of the design thinking stuff like the Stanford Design School. IDO sort of school of thought. Constraints are something to be embraced. How do you add constraints, though? Say, if you do have a four million budget campaign and you don't know where to start, how do you start? No, so, so just just pretend that you don't. Pretend that you've got. So all of it, there's, there's a great story that Russell Davis tells. Russell Davis, the planner, not Russell mm. Davis, the Doctor Who showrunner, about when he was at Widens in London working on Honda, and they had that sterling run with ads like Cog and and Gur and and you know. Beautiful, beautiful run of work for for, for one brand, and it, um, one of the things that it came about was the client was like, "We're going to be spending like our budget is going to go down thirty percent year on year, so we need advertising that's going to punch above its weight, right?" And that was the challenge, and mm-hmm. that was the thing that, that led them to doing some you know some fucking amazing work in the car category. Mm-hmm. So you know. Or, you know, if you've got a month to do something, go, I've only got a week, <laughs> and just force yourself to go right. somewhere, you know? Um, any, of, any of the sort of the variables, just m- make life make life harder for yourself. Do you have any other tips for thinking laterally? I'll, I'll share one that, that Louise Gregg, my, my first mentor, shared with me, and I, I remember this to this day. It's damn good advice. Okay. Which is, um, she was like, up the road, around the corner from Colenso and College Hill, there's like a big old news agent, magazine, you know, magazine store. She was like, go there and go and buy a random sort of hobby magazine. Okay. <laughs> like, like sort of a, spe- a specialist, you know, something that you know nothing about, you know, fly fishing, whatever. Sure, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And just immerse yourself in it and just go, you know, okay. And then sort of you do that. What would a fly fisherman do in this situation? Which is a ridiculous question. And it's not about, it's got nothing to do with fly fishing. But what it, it helps you do is, it helps your mind jump tracks. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So anything that just helps you, you know, kind of get out of your own head a little bit. Um, I mean, I, you know, I have a meditation practice for exactly the same reason. Um, just be, yeah, becoming less attached to your thoughts is really important. Being able to let things 
flow through your mind without going, oh, cool, I'm going to grab that. That's the answer. Because um, sometimes the first answer, well, often the first answer is not the good answer. Is that meditation practice a, a morning ritual or? Whenever I can fit it in. Um, uh, this, here's, here, no, here's, 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 the, here's the most New York thing I'll say. I can now meditate on the fucking subway. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> because because I know exactly how long I've got between stops and you set a timer on your phone, I put some like you know, something chill to listen to. Currently there's there's an amazing um Alice Coltrane, who was John Coltrane's wife, um, went to India and recorded a whole of spiritual music in the seventies, but it's like Indian spiritual music but done with like analog synths and shit. That's kind of my jam for meditating and I, I can put that on noise cancelling headphones twenty minutes. Um Mainly if I get a seat, sometimes standing if I, if I, if I really need to, but, but it can be done. But that's, that's space for having clarity of thought and actually being able to do the deep work, which has become somewhat of a, a buzz topic at the moment. Spending hours yeah, totally. and hours just thinking about it and doing the workings. Is that, is that something that, that you really need to, to push and create for yourself, have you found? Absolutely. And not even recently, like always. You know, the... Uh, the... You can think of it like a, a, a two by two, you know, grid, with importance on one ac- on one axis and urgency on the other axis. And so there's there's stuff that's urgent and important, right? Fine, that's, well, that's what happens first. But the problem is, what you do second is you do the urgent but not important. You need to do the important but not urgent. Right. Um, and. That's always a useful frame for me, just to go, hang on, you know, is, is, is this the most important thing that I can do right now? And just be a little bit mindful about how we spend our time, you know. As I get older, my tolerance for pointless meetings gets fairly limited. The joy of, of having some grey in my beard <laughs> is that I, I, I just just get up and leave if, I, if it's not true. But yeah, like carving out, carving out time and space <laughs> to think. It's super important. I think, you know, we, you know, I, I guarantee you almost anybody listening to this podcast who works for an agency is in some sort of open plan hellscape. I can attest to that. Which is not con- yeah. conducive to what we're talking about. So back to the, you know, it's an, out, it's an outside sport. Get out of the office and do it. You know, I, I've got a few hidey holes that I'm not going to mention in case anyone from my office is listening because they'll know where to find me. But, um, you know, your nearest, I don't know, your nearest library or just you know, a cafe, <laughs> just somewhere. Just somewhere where you turn your phone off and, and write for a while, you know, just whatever your format is, get your notebook out, bang out some PowerPoint. Whatever your, your, your jam is, mm. you've got to take that time to think because otherwise you just skate across the surface of it. In all of the different agencies that you've worked at, has there been particular agencies that were really good at setting up that environment? And have there been bad ones? And, and what's really the difference? Look, the, the, the biggest thing is it's about time rather than space. I, I, you know, I, I've come to, to live with the reality that is open plan and, and there's yeah, all the reasons for open plan are financial rather than quality related. But the key thing is time. The enemy is, I mean, I, I was talking to a, a planner today who, who has moved to the US from, from another country. And she was, you know, six or seven years in. And she, in her previous job, she was on eight pieces of business. Wow. That's huge. And you're like, how the fuck do you, you know, how, do you how do you expect to, to go deep on anything when you're working on that many things? So, you know, to answer, to answer your question, the 
the agencies that have managed this best are the ones where you you acknowledge that planning needs time. And just because it might take you an hour and a half to type a brief to fill in the one-page A4 document, mm. that does not mean that that's how long it takes to come up with a strategy. So, you know, acknowledging that, that what you get out of planning is what you put into it and investing it and having people who aren't spread too thin because it's super easy to go, oh, yeah, we've got a planner and his job is to take the client brief and write a creative brief and thanks for coming. But that's kind of missing the point. That's just treating it like a commodity or like a something on a, you know, a, on a scoping document. Mm. Speaking of documents, do you have any do you have any template that you use? Because I know when a new head of brand planning starts, their first thing to do is usually throw out the current creative brief. Oh, that's the, that, that's the, that's the, it's, it's, it's the classic trap for any, when everyone, everyone gets their first head of planning job. Um, and it, it's a fucking trap because I don't give, I genuinely don't give a fuck about the template. It could be a haiku, it could be a performing a dance, it could be a deck, it, could, I, I, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Back to that mini example. I never even, that was one of the most award-winning campaigns of the year. I didn't even write a brief. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally never, never put pen to paper. And the whole, you know, because every agency has got their their dogma, you know, they've got their, you know, we believe in X, Y, Z. And it's like, that's awesome, except that the problem with any sort of fixed ideology or methodology is that it's a fixed methodology, which means that it's not going to apply in every circumstance. So whatever the template is, as long as it's kind of got the main areas that you need, you know, who are we talking to? What do we know about them that's useful? Great. What's the product about? Great. What's the business problem that we're solving? Yep. Um, what's the role of advertising versus, you know, marketing and other forms of, you know, business shit? Yeah, that's all it needs in terms of, you know, I, I quite like the old, you know, I, I guess I was brought up in BBDO, but the old the get to buy. I think yeah. it's, it's wonderfully simple and elegant. Um, it's action oriented. Mm. The the only thing I'd say on this topic is that I I do have a sort of a hatred of well not a hatred. Um, I, I don't believe in, in propositions. Mm. I spent you know many many years sitting at my laptop and you try and craft this beautiful proposition and basically what you're doing is writing a bad tagline, right? and it was always received as a bad tagline. And I actually don't think there's any. I don't think there's any point to it. I think that we're. It's far more interesting to talk about what we want the audience to do as a result of this advertising than what we want to say. With regard to the tagline thing, we used to roll our eyes at it's not a, a consumer facing prop. Be the the line like it. There, no one would ever yeah. appreciate the prop enough to want to put it in front of the consumer. So why would it work for a creative? It's it's it's, just, it's bad practice because because fundamentally, here's here's the here's the other you know shocking insight. No one cares about taglines in the real world either. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I challenge anyone listening to go and ask a random person in the street. This is this is good homework for getting you used to approaching strangers. Go and ask someone about what their new what the when they bought their latest car and what the tag is and the car is a high involvement purchase, right? It's the second most expensive thing you buy after a house. And go and ask people what the tagline was for the car they bought. Yeah. No BMW owners will probably give you ultimate driving machine even when the brand wasn't using that line most other people you might get the brand tagline you won't you certainly won't get the model tagline because no one pays attention to it mm. and yet 
so many people in this industry, you become obsessed with tagline, and then you try and write creative to the tagline, which is the wrong, wrong way around. Mm. You know, I, I, I work with a, I have an amazing creative partner at, at, in Sydney, a guy called Damon Stapleton, who's now the ECD at DDB in New Zealand, and, and he's a he's a wonderful, large, cuddly, beautiful man, and one of the smartest you know guys I've ever worked with. And we talked about this a lot. You know, it's like no one cares. A tagline should be used to be the punctuation to the ad. The idea is the important thing. If you need a little line at the end to, to tie it all up in a bow, so be it. But this idea that there's sort of this, that, that the line is the thing, we're literally just talking to ourselves. Right. Mm. People don't care. The idea is the thing. Is the idea the thing that you'd spend the most time on as a planner or would it be the inside or the business problem? If you had to put all of your eggs in kind of one basket, which do you feel is the most important thing to get right? Look, I, I, uh, it's a hard question because I think it, I think it really depends on on, on the, the brief, on the challenge. Yeah, mm. um, I think you have to know how this is going to impact the business mm. because that's how we, you know, that's how you get stuff sold. Sometimes the consumer is super important. Sometimes it's completely irrelevant. You know, some of that that Biden's work for Honda that didn't come from consumer insights. That came from, you know. I love that girl, you know, the hate something, change something ad. Here's a little song for anyone who's ever hated in the key of grrr. Can hate be good? Can hate be great? Can hate be good? Can hate be great? Can hate be something we don't hate? We'd like to know why it is so that certain diesels must be slow and thwack and thrum and bong and hum and clatter clat. Hate something, change something, hate something, change something, make something better. That came oh, from the story of you know, a he found the like engineer who worked on the engine and he told the story of how he turned down the the brief to to work on this diesel because he hated fucking diesels and eventually his boss was like you know come on you'd be really good he was like no i I really hate diesels and they said look if you hate them so much you've got a clean slate you can reinvent the diesel engine he went okay in that case i'll do it and that was the brief the brief was positive hatred Mm-hmm. Had nothing to do with nothing to do with consumers. They're not, you know. There's there's other amazing campaigns that are 100 percent insight driven. So I think you know, actually the first task of planners is, is, you know, to your question, is going, what am I going to spend my time on here? Mm-hmm. You know, is this a, is this a business problem issue? Is this a brand archaeology story? You know, at Sarchi's we did um, we won the, the St George Bank account. And we had this idea, which was the line was start something. But the genesis of that really came from the fact that St. George was a, was a building society in the town of Hurstville in New South Wales. So their origin story was they helped start a community. That's why they exist as a, as a, as a brand. So we sort of just tapped into that history and, and made it you know, relevant and I guess you know, put some consumer, you know, modern day consumer insight against it. But the genesis of the idea was was really the history of the company. And yeah, you know, sometimes you don't know which way to go until you've gone there. 
you know, I think, I think you kind of have to explore all those avenues sometimes. How do you know when you've stumbled upon something great? Is it just a feeling that you get? I mean, speaking from your experience personally. I think there's, there's a very blunt approach, which is if the issue is that the brand is lacking relevance, then you need to do something that is rooted in insight. There was a, there's some work we, that was done at Colenso for the trumpet, which is like the cornetto or the drumstick. And everyone knew it, had 100% awareness. They'd done all these ads, which was you know, Rachel Hunter at a Volkswagen drop top eating the ice cream. It was very cheesy. But everyone knew it. The problem was that it had become irrelevant in this age of the Magnum and the, and the you know, all these new, sort of fancy ice creams. And all we had to do was make the brand, you know, top of mind and, and relevant again. So there was an amazing campaign, which was about, and if you go on YouTube and type in trumpet undies togs, you'll find the ad, which is an ad about how far from the beach do your Speedos become underpants. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it had nothing to do with the product at all yeah. but it was about summer and trumpet was, a, was all about summer so there was this idea about simplifying summer but really the gag was we just need to make this product funny and relevant and top of mind again so yeah 100% we're just going to tell a joke that's funny and, and on point for talking about summer in New Zealand right? so if, if it's a relevance thing I think inside if you have a distinctiveness or you know, differentiation issue if you're just a another brand in the category then you know dig into the product and the brand history and the history of the company and find something that is you know unique and ownable and hopefully something you can make interesting but you know like i said that, 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 that's that's a that's a pretty broad um that's a pretty broad sort so speaking of making brands relevant again we've given you a brief to revive healy's Oh yeah, this must be pretty <laughs> exciting because you've worked on Nike. What's more exciting, Nike or the Healy's Revive Healy's Brief? Now it's time to put your talents to the test. Now it's time to give a scenario to our guests. So what would be a strategy? Break it down. Let's see how you do it. Problem, insight, strategy, and solution. Woo! Everybody Everybody The only shoe with a renewable wheel in the heel that lets you walk or run, and then by simply shifting your weight to your heels, you're rolling. Heelys, hang out or drop in. It's all about the wheel in the heel. To find a store near you, go to Heelys.com. First, there were BMX bikes, then came roller skates, skateboards, and aggressive inline. But somewhere in between these iconic vehicles of extreme sport came one of the world's most functional, yet bizarre inventions. Neither shoe nor roller skate, Heelys allowed their owner to glide across the concrete with effortless grace. There was a Heelys professional sports team, Heelys celebrity cameos, but most famous of all, playing their part in the choreography of music video clip You Don't Have to Call by the early 2000s most beloved rap singer, Usher. If we were to take Healy's on their word, freedom is a wheel in your soul. Our task, restore the Healy's brand to their former glory. And as always, we'll ask our guest to answer in the son of the pitch, taking the piss format. That's problem, insight, strategy, and solution. Now back to the show. Well, that's a funny question because here's the thing with Nike is that Nike's yeah, an amazing fucking brand, an amazing shape, and it's got all the things you need 
And I, you know, I did a tiny little project for a small agency on, on Nike, but it was kind of easy because you know what the brand is and you know what its voice is and, and so on and so forth. Something like Healy's is kind of more interesting because it's like so fucking nowhere at the moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, so yeah, a bit, bit of career advice actually is like going to work on brands that aren't in particularly good shape is far more rewarding than going to work on big famous brands. Right. Because yeah, you nice. can because you can actually make a make a difference, right? So what did I think about Fahili? So, you know, I had to cast my mind back to two thousand and three, I guess it was, right? Two thousand and two, two thousand and three. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow your format because I, I managed I, I had a thought and then retrofitted it to your format, which is usually how formats work. But if we start with you know the problem, two thousand and three has not come back into fashion yet. Oh right, right, no, no, right. It's like and at some point it'll become retro again, but not yet. So the problem is they're just super fucking uncool, right? What was going on in two thousand and three? <laughs> I don't even remember. Well, that's that's three years after the Olympics, so we're still you're still getting over the Ian Thorpe bubble, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was getting over that. I mean, you know, you go, it's two, you know, two years after nine eleven. It's and t- I mean, I, I literally went back today at thinking about this and looked at the Billboard Top 100 for 2003, and it was not a bumper year for music. You can say that. <laughs> Actually, no, Beyonce Crazy in Love was 2003, so there's, yeah. there's one, one way of life. So you've kind of got this problem that they're just super uncool, they were fad, and also they're, by, you know, they're kind of ugly, right? They kind of look like DCs. They, they, yeah, DC yeah, shoes had a moment, but they're sort of mm. slightly chunky, chunky skate sneaker sort of thing, right? And I was like, okay, that's, that's the problem. And, and, but I think inside that problem might be the answer. The other interesting insight was that they got banned. You know, they, it was this big, you know, oh, really? right? They got banned. Because pe- people were like buying them. Because you could buy them at the shoe store, not at the, not at the sports store. So people would buy them at the mall, put them on, and they're like fucking just ass over it, <laughs> crack their head, you know, hit, crack the back of their head on the, on the, on the shiny tiles at the Westfield. But they were banned, which makes them a little bit badass. So I quite like that. There's this little hint of, you know, sort of they, they were banned. And, and I guess the other dragging it into the present day is, you know, I, I, I like sneakers. I, I'm i kind of a sneakerhead. But I now feel old in the world of sneakers because I see some of these sneakers that are, like, super chunky. And I'm like, they are just fucking ugly. And someone's spending 900 bucks on a pair of Balenciaga kicks that has got three soles. And it's like, what? what's going on? So, you know, I'm not the target market here. So, no, let's accept as an insight that ugly sneakers are cool now. So that's kind of interesting given that we make ugly sneakers. Okay. The strategy kind of comes from this pivot, which is Heelys are so uncool that maybe it's not that hard to make them cool again. And I kind of was trying to crystallize this as, as a thought, and this is, again, I'm going I'm to do this as a positioning thought, which is, Heelys just don't give a fuck. <laughs> right? I love it. Because if you're going to wear Heelys now, you need attitude to pull those off. <laughs> but if, you're, but if, if you've got the attitude, you can pull, you can pull those off. Right? If you're, if you're a sufficient badass, then... And if you can be a little bit of silly, have a little bit of silliness, because they're a bit silly, then you know what? A little bit of badass silliness 
given the state of the world today, may not be a bad thing, man. We live in pretty fucking dark times. Yeah, so true. a little bit rebellious and a little bit, little bit sort of dumb at the same time kind of feels like it's on the money. So kind of this, you know, how, how do we bring this to life? This is not an advertising solution, at least in the traditional sense. This might be one of the first times I'm genuinely saying this is a social media brief. This is a, yep, because we're not going to make something pivot from uncool to cool by advertising. It's going to come across like a vicar dancing at a disco. So, (laughs) you know, you need to make make these uncool things cool. And the way to do that is, you know, to use influencers. If Kanye West can sell the butt ugly sneakers that he's selling by doing them himself and having his wife wear them, then we can do this with, with, uh, with Healy's. So the first thing I would try and do is I would go and, and talk to the guys at Supreme and ah. give them a fuck ton of money to do a Healy's Supreme collaboration. Oh, oh wow. Geez, yeah, that, yeah, I get it. Right, <laughs> and then you, then you pay a whole lot of money to a bunch of influencers to wear them mm-hmm. on their social feeds and bitch bash bosh. So you take the, you, know, you gave me four million for media and two million for production. I'm not going to spend any of that on anything other than paying high-profile influencers and paying Supreme to make. And Supreme only have to make one pair, as far as I'm concerned. You know, to be able to right. Yeah. And, then, and then you know, if Supreme won't do it. Go to Balenciaga. If Balenciaga won't do it. Just yeah, there's enough like douchebag sneaker brands now that we'll find someone who can do it. I feel, I feel <laughs> like Supreme. Supreme as a brand is kind of like a perfect fit because they are post-ironic in the way that they kind of mm. make fun of capitalism by selling the most expensive did you see what they or they i don't know if it's dropped yet if it was announced today um you know those like really shitty hand-painted porcelain figurines that your spinster aunt collects <laughs> yeah sure. right, fabergé egg style right and they're sort of shiny but you know they're sort of like uh, what's the, I what the brand is you know those like shiny hand-painted porcelain and it's a cherub with a bow and arrow, like you know, it's like it's like you know, I don't know, eight inches tall, ten inches tall, and but it's got a it's got a Supreme box T-shirt on, and they're selling them for four and a half grand, ah. and 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 they will sell out in seconds, and it's just it's just Supreme going ha ha, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so 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 yeah, I, I reckon I think they'd do it just for, for shits and giggles. Yeah, that, that, that's that's play. I, I sort of toyed with the idea of you launch a, you know, sort of Harlem Shake challenge where you get people to recreate the Usher video. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe other. Can you get could you get Travis Scott to cover, you know, or to sample? You don't have to call and do a video where he's wearing heelys. Um, but you know, that that's all sort of icing on the cake. I think the the real thing is, you know, if you want to make these uncool things cool, then this is maybe the one time in my entire career. Where I would influence, uh, recommend an influencer strategy, and I feel vaguely dirty even saying it, but, but, but there it is. No, Do don't be. Is that like a model that you think you could take to absolutely any product in the world right now? Just give it to Supreme and make money? Yeah, I think, I think actually that, that's a smart idea. The, or like just you know, the, the collab thing is so big, and and so much of it has become so. You know, I don't even know if it's like ironic or post-ironic or post-post ironic. <laughs> It's it's a thing, you know, and um, you know it's like it's like you know Virgil Abloh designing for for Louis Vuitton, yeah. right? And, and freaking out. There's a whole lot of like old school Louis Vuitton people who are like, ah! um, but you know, if you ever look at sales figures, this is like Louis Vuitton selling more shit than ever before. Mm, yeah, 
Because all the people, all the people who want the you know brown monogram briefcase can still get the brown monogram briefcase. Mm. But you get all these high priests coming in and getting the one with the orange ceramic chain on it. Mm. Um, and you know, good good on them, man. Good on them. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, we thank you so much for taking the time to kind of put that strategy together. We know that it's a little bit of homework that goes a little bit beyond what a normal podcast would ask of its guests. So we really appreciate that. No, man, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, we, th- we think our audience can learn a lot from kind of how different strategists kind of tackle different problems and be able to take glean some insight maybe from that stuff. Is it, Just as we're wrapping it up, is there anyone... Uh, any way that people can get in touch with you or is there anything that you want to plug on the podcast? Obviously, we've got got quite a lot of young bucks um, cruising around in the Miami ad school land and, and young planners. Yeah, I, I, as soon as I say this, I'm going to get bombarded by Australians <laughs> with, with, e, with E3 visas, aren't I? But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Jason Lonsdale. I think I'm the only one. Um, at Jason Lonsdale on Instagram, uh, Twitter, I'm, I'm, you know, I've kind of given up on Twitter. It's become a fucking toxic soup in this country. What, what about your Pinterest? We stumbled on your Pinterest account while while researching you for the uh, for the pod. <laughs> oh, we never got to the soul music. <laughs> now, now yeah, my, my Pinterest is largely, I think, sneakers and and well, now I'm getting middle aged, like interior design thoughts. <laughs> so, so, so that's not the most interesting. But uh, if you want to see photos of my children and my dog, you can stalk me on Instagram. <laughs> Professionally, LinkedIn, I'm pretty good at replying and you know, I'm always happy to, to give someone a, a chat if they want some advice. Cool. I think Healy's will be stoked that you saved their brand. They'll probably be in touch soon. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you guys need to write this up and, and send it to them. Just, 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 just cut me in on the back end if you sell it. <laughs> will do. Will <laughs> no do. Worries. First, no worries. You're the first guest to ask that. He's, he stumbled onto our ploy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank, thanks so much, Jason. Have a good sleep and rest after this uh, late night podcast, and we really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thanks, Jason. Good, good chatting to you guys. Take care. You have been listening to a Son of a Pitch podcast. My name is Vince. And my name is Max. And we're both planners living in Sydney, Australia. A big thanks to Helga Diamond and Miami Ad School for supporting the show. And if you want to get that $100 fee waived for Miami Ad School, please drop us a line at podcastsoap at gmail.com. That's podcastsoap at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh-huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh-huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems. So let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a pitch. Dylan.